Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite, and Rutgers beat reporter, Craig Epstein. Guys, the regular season for Rutgers football has concluded. Rutgers had its final home game of the season on Saturday against Maryland, where they fell 42-24 to uh, to drop their fourth straight game. They went 0-4 in the month of November. I believe they were outscored something along the lines of 126-46. to uh, So it's it's been a month. It has uh, it's been tough to watch, especially after that six and two start. I think we all expected a little bit more. I think we all expected at least one win in the final four games, but that never came. Um, we've done a lot of talking about this game, both online, you do the post game, Greg. You've written a couple articles. Let's just talk high level. What was the the I guess because it wasn't a whole lot of positives. What was the most disappointing aspect of this game for you, Craig? I would just say most disappointing aspect was just the way they came out. Because all year long, their defense has just been really rock solid. They've been so dependable, but just came out completely flat, fell behind its early second quarter. It was 28 to 3. And by that, it's like you're basically like, okay, what what, what else am I going to do with my day? Because, I mean, yeah. the game didn't end until, what, 7.30? I mean, Jesus. I mean, the game, it's a 3.30 kickoff, and the game doesn't end until 7.30. I don't get out of there till 9. It's like... Come on, guys. But uh, but either way, I mean, yeah, it's just just very disappointing with the defensive way to come out. And yeah, like we talked about all season long, this team is not built to really come back from really any kind of deficit, to be honest. And the fact that they fell behind 28 to three before you really got comfortable on your couch, the game was pretty much over. I mean, credit to them. They almost did. They did mount a little bit of a comeback in that second quarter. They and if they came out of halftime with the ball. You have a chance to make it a one possession game, believe it or not. but didn't happen and Maryland pulled away and that was it. How about you, Rich? Uh yeah. I mean <clears throat> I thought we'd see significant progress from this offense and it's it's yep. only gotten worse all season long, to be honest with you. It's I mean the running game's great. Kyle Manongai got his his hundred yards, hundred plus yards again. And they just can't pass the ball for shit. And it's and honestly at the end of the day, I know people are trying to blame the offensive line somehow this week, which makes no sense to me. Um, but you, you got to blame the quarterback at the end of the day. He's missing easy throws. And even like when he hits his targets, you got Dremel reaching on one and he's making diving catches. You got Isaiah Washington. They're finally taking deep shots and it ended up working out really well. The one play, where was that all season long? Isaiah Washington was wide receiver. What two, I guess, technically all season long, three, you want to argue. And they just didn't use him at all. And then all of a sudden they start using him, and look what happens. He has three for 67. And it's like, even like on the, on the, the one call is pass interference. The worst comes to worst. You're getting that pass interference call and moving down the field. You got to take some shots. But uh, yeah, it was just a, honestly probably the worst game of Gavin's career. And it was just brutal to watch. And you just, that was my big, my biggest takeaway is that you need, you need the quarterback help badly. Especially when you juxtapose Gavin's product play against Talia, like you're, <laughs> You couldn't do yeah. further of a gap between two college quarterbacks. The guy on the other side set the all-time record for Big Ten passing on Saturday, 
Mm-hmm. And it, it happened, I want to say, in like the second quarter. Because he had almost yeah. 300 yards passing by halftime. He had like yep. 298 or something like that. Like, And it wasn't like he was throwing these you know, frozen ropes that were between two defenders and just perfect ball placement. He had a couple throws like that. But the majority was just taking <clears throat> layups. It was hitting the guy in the screen and letting that play develop. It was, oh, there's busted coverage down the field. I'm just going to loft this thing in there and get it to my guy. And it's that doesn't have to be, you know, 10 yards over his head. <clears throat> I, I was really hoping for Gavin and the offensive coaching staff's sake that Gavin could parlay the Penn State game, which despite the, the stats, if everybody who watched that game and didn't come away impressed with Gavin's performance, then... I think you're just a hater, and I consider myself a light hater, but only because it's nothing against him. It's just he hasn't really played well this year. I was truly hoping that he could parlay that performance into another standout performance against Maryland, and immediately from the jump, you saw, oh man, here we go again. First throw of the game was that ball he sailed over over Bowman's head. Um, You know, he just sailed so many balls. It's funny because, like, no matter who you listen to on broadcast, whether it be the national guys in Matt Millen or Ross Tucker, or anybody who's done a Rutgers game, or you listen to our own guys on the radio, like, everybody sees that this quarterback we have is not doing the most basic, easy things that a quarterback needs to do. I, ch- in my opinion, the the primary goal of a quarterback is to complete a forward pass. Now, you can do that in many ways, but it Gavin cannot consistently hit wide-open receivers. And we've now had a sample size of almost 500 pass attempts in his career. He finished the season completing 47.8% of his passes. Now, that's bad. That's really, really bad. Abysmal. But to put it into perspective... So there was 115 quarterbacks in the FBS this year who had over 225 dropbacks. Gavin was the worst. He was 115th out of 115 in completion percentage at 47.8%. The second place guy, so the second worst player in that criteria in completion percentage, was 52.5%. So Gavin was almost five percentage points worse than any other quarterback who had 225 plus dropbacks. That is massive. That means he was 10% worse than the worst, second worst guy in college football in terms of completing passes. And then you can say, well, he had a lot of throwaways. He had a lot of drops. Okay, let's look at adjusted completion percentage, which takes all that into account. Gavin's still the worst at 58.8% on the season. Only guy underneath 60% in the FPS. Second worst guy, 62.0. So he's almost four percentage points worse than the second worst guy there, too. So it's like, at some point, you just have to realize this isn't going to get substantially better enough to really justify tethering yourself to Gavin. I'm not saying you have to run him out of town, but this season was on the coach. This season was on Greg Schiano in terms of the offense, because he looked at his roster and he said, I do not need anyone else in the quarterback room because I have that much faith in Gavin Wimsat. So I'm not going to go after a transfer quarterback. I can win with defense and running the ball. And sure, it worked out this year. But this recipe, and Craig, I thought that was a great question you asked him at the presser when he was talking about, you know, 
how we've gotten dominated by Maryland so many times in a row underneath Greg Schiano. And he said, well, I think it might be because we get worn down and we always play them the last game of the year. Then you're like, well, is it because of the way you play that you're getting worn down where you want to run the ball the entire game and then play like swarming smash mouth defense? And I think he said like, he'd never thought about that, but he doesn't think it is and blah, blah, blah. And then the other reason he said, I think number three has a lot to do with it too. Oh, a superstar quarterback has a lot to do with why you're getting your ass kicked. Shocker. Shocker. Never heard that before. Couldn't have come up with that analysis. Yeah. You need a good quarterback. You need a good quarterback. Greg sees it. He, he says it in what he responds to the media with. He doesn't come out right and say, <clears throat> Gavin isn't the guy. But if you read between the lines of everything he said, between him talking about, we can't run. If we, if we wanted to, if we, if we could run everything right now, we would. We're just not there yet. And he specifically mentioned screens. He specifically mentioned passing the ball a lot. Like he's laid out all the breadcrumbs of how he really feels throughout all these pressers. You just have to go and read it. And this isn't some QAnon crap or something like that. And sorry for anybody who actually believed in that. But it's it's not like this coded message. You just have to like read what he says and then contextualize it. That's it. I know that was a long rant. I know we said we weren't going to go too deep on the game, but here I am. And what we're ten minutes into this. No, I mean you're you're spot on. <laughs> How do you not get a transfer after everything that you've seen this year? Just so, and it doesn't. You said it before on the on the boards. You don't need a lot of money for a guy that's just accurate. You don't need much of anything. Just that needs to be accurate. We don't need a superstar that could throw it down the field every single play. You don't need a Talia Tagovailoa. I can't say it. I'm done. Um, but yeah, there you go. But you don't need a superstar like that. You don't need the Big Ten's all time passing leader. You need a Tanner Morgan type. That fits Kirk's offense to a T perfectly. I don't know, maybe a Hudson card who everyone had an argument. He sucks. He's not better than Gavin Wimsett. No, bullshit. He is, clearly. <laughs> like, it's insane. Give me Brent. And I know Brandon Sorsby just entered, and I know people are joking. Nope. Like, yeah, he's not that good. I'm like, no. Oh, all right, never mind. I, I do not one. want Sorsby because <laughs> it's, it's not, he's not a substantial upgrade, in my opinion. I'm not saying substantial, but I think he's an upgrade. He'd be an upgrade, but that's like I think we need to to get somebody who's. I think you need someone undoubtedly, than that, yes, undoubtedly power five average, and I don't think you really say that about no. Swordsby. And you I, know what? I, I, you know what I hate to say that the guy that they're probably going to look for, the type of guy they're going to probably look for in the transfer portal, is probably mm-hmm. sitting right behind Gavin right now. I mean. How'd you do the bubble thing? I don't know. <laughs> that was that was weird. But uh, uh, the, the ghost in the computer yeah, agree with you, I guess, oh Greg. God. Was that a thought bubble? I mean, geez, you don't want to see that. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the guy that they're going to look for in the trend support is probably pretty similar to Evan Simon, to be honest. The guy that's just accurate, <clears throat> can hit the open receiver. You not going to cost a lot of money. I mean, really. I mean, let's be let's be honest, because I said this. I said this in the chat. If Rutgers would take a, if Rutgers was a five win team. Going into after the Iowa game, after that debacle, what, do you, I think people would have been calling for Evan Simon to start those last two games because do, can you tell me with full confidence that Gavin that Gavin gave him the best chance to win win those two win those games? I mean, to be honest, I think there would have been a real a real debate there, and it, it things would have been ugly if you if not for I mean, really, I hate to you know look on the negative side, but if you take away the Wagner win or the miracle win against Michigan State. This season would have a, a very different story to it. So, I mean, the Wagner win was always going to happen. I think you probably right. I'm just else. saying, you know, 
if you if you take away the the Michigan State win, which <clears throat> if you look at the win probability, Michigan State at one point had a ninety eight point three percent chance of winning that game in the second half. If you take away that game, which is probably a game you see once every decade as a Rutgers fan in terms of that kind of comeback. Yeah, I think it is such a swinging door moment for the season because then all that pressure, like, do you remember how happy Greg was after the Indiana game? Yeah. Talking about it's the best night's sleep he's had in years, you know, and then last night again, I got a really great night's sleep. The weight of not making a bowl and not being a winning program was crushing Greg. If we don't get that miracle comeback at Michigan State, there is so much pressure over the final four games that we've talked about. And I agree. I think we would have had to make some tough choices. But look at look, like, look at how many games down the stretch this year. If you talk about Iowa, you talk about Penn State, you talk about Maryland, that we just like basically surrendered the fourth quarter. We didn't try and throw the ball. We ran the clock down on the play clock down to, you know, one or two seconds every single snap. They were just trying to get out of there. They weren't trying to win these games. They were happy and complicit at six wins because it secured them a bowl. They felt they had nothing to, to play for in these games at, at a certain point. So they stopped trying. Like, I swear, I will, I will die in the cell that I think if Rutgers just got <clears throat> competent quarterback play, they would have beaten the number one team in the nation. I swear. Because there was a point where they had Ohio State right on the ropes. They, and we said it ourselves. They kept getting to the red zone. Getting to the red zone. And they had to settle for field goals. If you score touchdowns, yeah, probably beat Ohio State, and we're talking about probably the greatest win in Rutgers football history. But no. I am 100% in agreement with you, Craig. That would have been – I think we would have beaten Wisconsin. I think we would have beaten Ohio State this year with above average to average quarterback play. Because if you look, we took three field goals within the Ohio State five-yard line in the first half. That's nine points. We threw a pick six coming out of halftime. In the red zone of Ohio State, seven points the other way. So that's a seven-point swing. Gavin Wimsett misses a wide-open Christian <laughs> Dremel in the first quarter that Ross Tucker is probably still talking about on broadcasts. There is so many opportunities for easy points that we just totally squandered in that game. And then at some point, the defense wore down, and they scored a meaningless touchdown towards the end of the game to pad Marvin Harrison Jr.'s stats. It was a 19-point game, but in reality, anybody who watched that game knew it was a one-score game basically all game. I think we were down by seven points like late in the fourth quarter. So I agree. I think we would have won that game. And people are saying, you can't say that, blah, blah, blah. Like, did you guys watch that game? (laughs) Did you guys realize that, you know, we were at the two-yard line against Wisconsin through a pick six before halftime when we were getting the ball back and had momentum? Uh, now you want the biggest kick in the balls, and this is going back to Craig's uh, Evan Simon theory, is now we can talk about it. Um, during camp, during spring camp, during training camp, we've there was a notable like, – high school coaches are allowed to watch the entire practices because they're trusted. They know they're not going to go out and say anything. I had one note, notable, very notable high school coach. I'm not going to reveal who it is, but told me multiple occasions where Evan Simon was the better-looking quarterback in camp, especially multiple times in spring. And it's like, did they kind of just hand Gavin the job? Yeah, they did, basically. And I don't know if it's an NIL factor or if it's just uh, Gavin's more, don't get me wrong, he's the better dual threat of the two, but it's just like, ugh. (laughs) This is not an isolated anecdote either. I heard that from many different people, that Evan Simon looked better in camp than Gavin Wimsett. And this is coming from 
people who would know. I'm not going to say much more than that. But I, I would keep hearing that. It would be like, hey, so-and-so ran into this person, and they were saying that Evan looked really good in camp, and Gavin was still pretty you know, hit or miss. And I said, oh, that's interesting. File that away. And then you hear the same thing a week later. It's like, okay, this is good to know. At least we have a competent backup. I already just named starter at this point. But mm-hmm. to not even give him a chance. And the only time he does get a chance in Wisconsin, There's what happens? <laughs> Three plays, 30 yards, and a touchdown. So I'm not saying Evan Simon is some kind of savior. But for all the people who said that, like, we have to wait and let a guy improve on one, out of one side of their mouth and say, we've seen enough from Evan. He can't do it. We, he's not a, you know, power five quarterback out of the other side. I just don't get, like, the mental gymnastics you have to go through to really make that make sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll be both, guys, both guys have their warts. Like, Evan Simon threw a ton of interceptions last year, put the ball in harm's way, but he also was able to, like, complete some pretty basic passing concepts. So, I don't know. I feel like it's easier to coach out bad decisions than it is to coach out you can't make that throw. Sorry, Greg. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I would have, I probably would have said going into the season, I feel like Gavin has a higher ce- ceiling than Simon. But after, I mean, he's been, he was given a full season. Like, he was given his chance. And like you said, you went, you went through the laundry list of stats. Like, he's just, it's just horrible. Like, there's no other word to describe it. So, if Rutgers, I've said it before, but if Rutgers at least has to give him some kind of some kind of competition going to next year. Because if they're not, it's just it's really just negligent. Because whether you want to go into the portal and find a quarterback, like like you said, you're not gonna, you don't have to go out and find Bo Nix or you know Michael Penix Jr. Just find a competent guy, or at the or even give AJ Sarese a shot. Because honestly, I know he's young. I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. But if you're, yeah, I know. But if you're telling me that AJ Sarace can't be, like you said, Gavin during training camp wasn't exactly, you know, laying it up. If AJ can't beat him out looking like that, I'll be a little concerned, to be honest. Well, here, I, mean, I, I wrote a post about this on the board. It's the, the quarterback conundrum now. So we have a month until the bowl. It's probably going to be pinstripe. It might be a different one. But regardless, we have about a month between now and when we're going to play the bowl. We get 15 practices, I think, for the bowl game, right? Right around there. Yeah. So obviously, it's a great developmental time. Greg has said how important that is. Even more important than the bowl game itself is having those 15 practices. And it's a great recruiting tool, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's kind of like everybody's excited. Everyone's healing. It's, like, it's kind of like a mini training camp. Now, the transfer portal opens next week. It's already open for FCS players bunch of really good players have already entered grad transfers all that grad transfers you have to you have to evaluate your roster prepare for next season while you're still preparing for this season it's a very very strange position to be in because you've seen some offers go out already to defensive and offensive linemen you need to make the decision fairly quickly are we going to go after a quarterback or not? Because if you wait until after the bowl game, the majority of the guys who entered will already have found a new home. And you can't put yourself in a position where you're just scraping the bottom. You have to do a honest look in the mirror. And then if you decide what most fans or most rational people would think after watching the season, that we probably should get somebody else for competition's sake at least, if not to come in and start next year, 
you have to start recruiting these guys like now and you have to bring them to practices and recruit them while you're also kind of like trying to keep everyone else on the roster happy like Gavin and and Johnny and Evan Simon Evan's mm-hmm. probably going to leave and that's not from any kind of inside scoop or anything like that but just logically he's probably going to leave how do you balance that and is is Shiano going to get to the point where he doesn't really care what consequences it has because he knows it's for the good of the team. Does that make sense? Like, it's a really awkward position to be in, but it's one that, like, you got to rip the bandaid off. You got to be the big boy in the situation. You got to be the dad. Yeah. You got to say, listen, I bought you this new car. You crashed it already. We're going to take the keys away from you. You can't be driving this anymore. That's what he's got to do. It sucks. It's, it's unfortunate, but he's got to go out and recruit a quarterback at the same time of coaching Gavin and trying to get him better. I don't know how it's going to go over on the team or how it's going to go over with certain people, but that's just where we're at this point. It's going to be interesting because like, if you do go after a quarterback, like can imagine Gavin walking off the practice. Hey, who's that guy? You want to help recruit him? No, 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 don't, 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 he's a 24 year old, uh, Walter Payton award winning, uh, quarterback from New Hampshire. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he's good. He's, he's he's the next Johnny Langan. Don't worry about it. (laughs) He's stopping by to say hi. Um, yeah. Jeez. And there's, there's some good ones in the, in the portal too. Like there's yep. some really good ones already. Like the New Hampshire kid, Bra- Brosmer. He's, I think Max Brosmer. He led the FCS in passing this year. The um, Holy Cross kid that you've mentioned multiple times Matt in Sluka, the portal. Yep. He's arguably the best dual threat in the FCS. You've seen a lot of guys like Max Rogers, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to land him. Will Rogers. Uh, Will Rogers. I'm sorry. Will yeah. Rogers, the guy from Mississippi state. He's got like 12,000 mm-hmm. passing yards. Max um, Johnson from A&M. Yeah. Like, some of these guys, Rutgers is just not going to land. Like they're not even going to stand a chance. But there's plenty of guys who we will have a chance with um, that we should probably uh, reach out to. No, yeah. I get it. the money and the starting thing, but I just you can't tell me with all the guys that are going to hit the portal, not one of them would it would like the opportunity of potentially starting for you know a, basically a middle of the pack Big Ten team. I gotta believe there's somebody out there that would jump at the opportunity. Yeah, for sure crazy um so we've kind of rambled here i do want to talk about some season-long perspective things let's start with positives i'll name one then we can go around and i'll talk about positives kind of like what we're thankful for um i'm going to take the the low-hanging fruit the biggest positive of this season by far Rutgers made it to a bowl it accomplished its primary objective of the season which was making a bowl game and you could see, like I said, from just the amount of relief Shiano felt in that post-game presser and that uh, game week presser after we beat Indiana, mm-hmm. how much that meant to him, how much, you know, it was eating him up inside that they hadn't found a way to make a bowl in his first, or I say they hadn't found a way, but uh, they made the Gator Bowl in 2021. But again, that wasn't the traditional way you make a bowl. Um this was just such a huge it, it's such a huge developmental point for the program because of those extra practices. You know, you stack those up and you get basically like an extra year of training for every class if you make a bowl every year because they're getting those if the average senior went to a bowl every season, they'd have 60 additional practices that they've had while at Rutgers, which means they've had 60 extra practices to get coached up, learn new 
new parts of the playbook because you can't install additional portions of the playbook during the season. Maybe you can during the bye week, but most of the season is about individual game prep and maintenance, like staying healthy. You can't really like, even if they wanted to like bolt on additional portions of Kirk Soraka's playbook, you can't really do it because it's too much to both prepare for a team and also to say, hey, we're going to run these three new concepts this game as well. You really need everybody to be on the same page. There's just not a t- enough time in a week to kind of go through that. So you have the ability to beef up the playbook. And if you do that for four years straight, you're really going to have a, a whole team that has the playbook down pat. I know, didn't, didn't Kirk Soraka say it takes three years to get his playbook down? Which is wild. Wild. I don't believe that. I feel like that's a bit of coach speak, but still, say that is the case in the, the off chance it is. Having Junior these, Gavin. Having, <laughs> having these bowl game practices to, to help accelerate the, the learning of the, the playbook is huge. Um, Rich, what, what is a positive that you took away from the season? I could. Uh, I got a couple, actually, but I'm going to stick with just this one. I, I thought Harris Simiak's defense was just beautiful, and it kept him in alive in so many games. Yep. Um, the pass rush may, maybe not as much this year as it was last year, but overall the defense as a whole was just phenomenal. The secondary was great. The linebacker core when fully healthy was great. Even when they lost arguably their best player on defense, they still played pretty damn well. Um, I think the unit as a whole was, was really good, especially the secondary. I, I can't rave about them enough. Longer beams turned into a basically a lockdown corner. Mind you, bad, bad game recently, but, um, yeah. All season long, he's been pretty good. Uh, Max Melton kind of turned it around after a rough start to the year. Um, finished with three interceptions, probably going to NFL if I had to guess. Um, and Flip Dixon, he was been a phenomenal transfer addition, and it goes to show you the transfer portal does work for you in, in your favor sometimes. Um, but overall, that unit was just just really good this year. It's a reason why they have six wins. It's a reason why they were competitive in most games. And I, I got to give a shout out to Harris Simeon, who is going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. Craig, how about you? Yeah, for me, I mean, thankful of whatever you want to use. Just team MVP for me has to be uh, Kyle Manungai. I mean, the guy was just absolutely, absolutely just a rock solid guy. He was their offense. He really was their offense all season long. And it's funny because before the season, like me, like you, me and Richie, like we do our like we do our articles where we're talking about like preseason expectations or answering questions from, you know, different writers. And you go through, and we went through, like, you know, Sam, we were talking about Samuel Brown after the freshman year he had, how excited we were to watch him, Gavin getting ready to potentially take the next step, those type of things. But as far as I know, nobody really mentioned Kyle Manungai. Like, he didn't really have a great year last year, but he came out this year and just completely just became, like, a, a completely different running back. Like, his vision, his strength, his motor, I mean, everything about him, he's... He's turned himself into really an NFL type back, and now you're hearing the 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 building, you know, building towards possible NFL, whether it's a late round pick or an undrafted free agent. I think he's. I think it's funny. I think the fact that I was I, that Pacheco's doing what he's doing right now in the NFL is probably going to help him because he kind of runs, even though they're built like, even though one's kind of you know more tall and just different. They kind of run in a similar fashion. It's just very violent, very hard to take down. So I think that's going to help Pacheco's draft stock and, and obviously Greg Shiano's connections. So really just, I mean, credit to Kyle Manungai, man, because he was just it was, he was just so much fun to watch all season long. Like I said, he was basically their offense because, as we, we said throughout the season, 
if you shut down Kyle Manungai, like Rutgers, their offense really is basically done. They really can't do anything else. But even through that, he still basically carried the offense to six wins, got them the eligibility, and gives them potentially a, one more game to go. And we'll see if he ends up playing. Yeah, Kyle Manungai, I've said it dozens of times this year. My favorite player on the team this year does mm. everything at such a high effort level. Like he's not the fastest guy. He's you know, not the he doesn't have the most wiggle, but his effort is unquestioned. Like the guy is willing to stick his face in the fan, regardless of whether it be, you know, <clears throat> running a linebacker over on, you know, short yardage situations, whether it be in pass blocking, whether it be in run blocking. Like how many times did a big run for Gavin Wimsat get opened up because Kyle Manungai just like absolutely like murdered somebody right in front of him? And that like, goes back to his draft stock is that guys are going to look at tape. They're going to look at him basically putting linebackers basically on their ass and, yep. you know, be such a great pass blocker that I know, I know one coach in this, in this area that just, you know, loves, loves nothing more than a passing running back. I'm not passing a uh, blocking running back. So, you know, I think that's only going to serve him well when it comes to, you know, drafts, the NFL draft season. Yeah. I think without Manunga this year, there's no question we don't make a bowl. Like, he probably won us two to three games on his own. He was that valuable to the team. And the combination of Harrisimiak's elite defense and Kamenungai, who led the Big Ten in rushing, by the way, which is no small feat. If you take, if you t- kind of think about over the years how elite the Big Ten rushing leaders have been, obviously, this is a bit of a down year, but that's still an incredible accomplishment and should be celebrated and should be remembered as one of the best seasons ever for a Rutgers skill position player. Um, one of the things that I am also thankful for slash biggest bright spots of the season, whatever we're calling this segment, we have a kicker. Jay Patel has been an absolute assassin this year, 29 to 30 from extra points, 14 to 16 in terms of field goals made 87.5%. Uh, he's hit two or three from 50 plus. Uh, he's only missed, like I said, two field goals on the entire season. We have a kicker. It is locked in. We have a kicker now for the next three years that we can 100% rely on. Um, It feels great because how many times in Shiano's 2.0 era, especially, have we had to like forego a 42-yard field goal in a tight game because we had no faith in the kicker whatsoever? Jay Patel, he's gone through a lot since he's been to college, too. The guy, like, I don't want to say he almost died, but he had a collapsed lung last year, and he couldn't train. He lost a lot of weight. He was in Mm -hmm. rough shape. came back and just picked up right where he left off. He was a guy that, you know, everybody was talking about as like one of the best kickers in the country. And, you know, he's right in Rutgers backyard and you can't say enough about this kid for, for how young he is to hit some of the kicks he did this year. Love the guy. Kind of drives you nuts when they put out Jude McAtammy during the <laughs> middle of a game, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, Jude, if you want to talk about the kicking game in general, holy shit, Jude McAtammy on kickoffs. How many kickoffs got That's returned great. against Rutgers this yeah. year? Handful? Uh, not many, if any. Mm. One, it two. is such a beautiful sight to see the thing sail out of the back of the end zone or to see a guy catch it six yards deep and wave his arms because kickoff coverage has not been good for Rutgers, and it's such mm. a, a high injury rate play in general because you got to think about it. You have 22 guys running full speed at one another and making contact at full speed. There's not many plays in, in football where you can say that, where everybody's making contact at full speed. So to get that basically out of the, the uh, <clears throat> not out of the playbook, but to not have to have that play m- multiple times a game 
is such a huge injury uh, risk relief uh, in general. I more uh, so meant the guy's hitting 51 yarders. He's hitting 50 yarders this past weekend, and it's like, you know what, 53? Hmm. Jude McAdamney, let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we doing? Jay should be out there for every single kick. I don't care how far it is. Put him out there. And the man's consistent. He's great. And, and he, he has some leg. He had a 50-yarder, and there was still some room to, to work with after that. But, yeah, shout-out to Jay. Big uh, big season. Um, do you guys have any other things you thought needed to be highlighted positives-wise? I thought offensive line took a big leap. I don't think we talk about yeah. it enough. Um, Pat Flaherty, hell of a job. Um, not shocking because he's a 40-year veteran. What a legit 40 years of coaching, which is wild. NFL experience, college experience. Um, it's going to be great to have him around. Um, I don't know how much longer he'll stick around because of his age. I, I can't imagine he'll be here for more than like maybe two more years tops. That's just a guess. But uh, hopefully you can keep him around as much as, as long as you can and uh, keep uh, developing that offensive line room. Yeah, I'm trying to get the pressure numbers up this for this year, but uh, it's not like we had a, a huge personnel turnover. But consistently, we're able to get the quarterback clean pockets or at least enough yeah. time to make his reads. Whereas the last few years, it's basically been like, you know, a paper tent at the snap. <laughs> it's just everything is collapsed yeah. and they have no time. It's got to be a scramble drill. So I thought he did a phenomenal job in just, you know, nine months, basically, to turn this this ragtag group from arguably the worst in the Big Ten to Big Ten mm -hmm. average. And that's kind of what we're talking about with like the quarterback. We don't need to go from you know worst to best. We need to go from worst to average because you've seen that with the offensive line this year. What can happen when you have just average? You can be competent. You don't need to be an offensive juggernaut. You don't need to be Oregon. You don't need to be Washington where you're slinging the ball all around the, the, the field. You just need to be average and competent. And that's what we've seen with the offensive line this year. And that's why in big part, Kyle on guys leading the Big Ten in rushing. That's why, in big part, you know, we're, Gavin was one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Great job by Flaherty. I think it was a great job in general by the offensive staff. I think we made a big stride offensively, and uh, it goes to show what experienced coaches can uh, provide to a team over green coaches, for lack of a better term. And, yeah. Richie, how many Giant fans right now are saying, bring back Flaherty? <laughs> every every single one at least one. our line coach is still employed um jeez it's uh yeah <laughs> all right so we've talked about what we're thankful for let's talk about uh some negatives for the season Oof. we've talked a lot about gavin so I, I feel like we don't need to, to pile on more about the quarterback but i do feel like we need to just like put a pin in saying you were hoping to find certainty long-term in the quarterback position. I don't feel like we found that this year. So that's probably the number one drawback of the season was you don't really have your locked-in guy moving forward. Um, Craig, what do you have as a negative moving out of the season? I think just – it's not that I – it's it's not – and I like you said, I asked – it's not that I dislike this offensive, like, style because, like, I talked about even going into the season, like – you don't care how you get the wins. You don't care how you get the points. As long as Rutgers wins and scores touchdowns at the end of the day, you're happy. But as we saw as the season wore on is that this style in twenty in 2023, ground and pound and win it with your defense just does not 
it's not sustainable. You see it with Rutgers, and I, you see it with the Jets. I mean, you might get you'll get some wins. Maybe your maybe your ceiling is six wins, but at some point, the injuries are going to mount. You're going to hit November. The weather's going to get cold, guys. It it just happens every time. So that's why when you get hit November and we sell them injuries start to pile up, they they can't beat teams like Iowa, Ohio State, now Maryland because Maryland. And again, like you said, Greg mentioned in his post game in the post game press conference, he's talked about how Maryland seem to be a lot healthier than them. Well, let's think about this for a second. Maryland, a team that runs a very more of a high, you know, powered offense, very more, they just pass the ball more. So they don't, and they don't run like this. They just, it's a completely different style. So just put two and two together. There's a reason Maryland comes into the last game of the season, basically not like an infirmary. This is just the way, this is the way football operates now. So I, I get it. I And I agree with them. This is the way the team was built to win this year. I'm fine with that. They got their six wins. So everybody is happy. They're going to probably the pinstripe ball. So everybody can at least chill a little bit when it comes to that. But going forward, we're going to have to start to, to, to kind of bring the offense now into the modern NF modern day football. I mean, you're going to have to start passing more. You, You just cannot play this style year in and year out because really they're going to be playing with fire next year. Cause we talked about it. Six wins was the, basically, I'd say, going into the year, six wins was basically the ceiling. Next year, I think six, as things stand right now, six wins is the floor. They got to get six wins next year, if not more, because like we've talked about, there, it's a the, the divisions are gone. You don't got to worry about now facing Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, these powerhouses every year. Now you're going to get to face more Big Ten West teams, Minnesota, Illinois. I mean, whoever it may be. So really now it's just about, do you have what it takes to get into November, get into those late to get into the late season and beat those teams? Because if you don't, this is going to be a very different story next year, in my opinion. Hmm. I mean, pretty spot on. I'm going to go with the pass rush. It kind of disappointed me quite a bit this year, uh, especially after last year where you're putting up crazy big numbers and you, you can make a bunch of different reasons for why this happened. Maybe Marquis Watson not being with the team, maybe, um, different interior pass rushers because Ifan Maijay put up some really good numbers last year and that hasn't been replaced at all in the interior. Um, Isaiah Iton did come in. He did play decent. Uh, but if you look at his numbers, he really didn't play that many snaps compared to the rest of the defensive linemen, which for whatever reason, it is what it is. Um, Keontae Hamilton continues to be eh at best. Um, I don't think he's really done much at all. Um, but overall, like if you look at like the QB hurries, the QB hits, and obviously sack numbers are still down, but, uh, it's just like a significant drop between Wesley Bailey and Aaron Lewis, who were supposed to be two of the best edge rushers in the conference, in the conference this year. Um, Aaron Lewis specifically, like just took a big drop. I don't know if teams are just keying in on more and they just noticed like, Hey, that's, that's the guy we got to stop. No shit. Like just, just stop him. And then we're good. And for the most part, that's worked. And, um, they haven't been able to find consistency on the interior. I know Mayan Ahanatu's missed some games, and that, that's been a struggle. But there's not really, for a team that Greg always says is like 10, 12 deep or whatever, I don't know if you really are 10, 12 deep because Kenny Fletcher regressed. He barely even plays now. So like it's, it's, it's been a little bit of a lackluster performance from that, uh, that pass rush. Yeah, I, w- I would just go to highlight overall depth too because you saw what happened. You know, this isn't a surprise to any Rutgers fans, but. As soon as a starter would go down, 
the massive hole it would create in a team. And you know, you yeah. you, you talk about a guy like <clears throat> like Tyreen Powell, who was one of the best players on the team, gets hurt, and mm-hmm. then look at what happens the next few games. We get gashed on a long pass against Iowa. We get gashed for a few long passes against Maryland in terms of tight end usage. Penn State has two really good tight ends that were doing kind of whatever they wanted at points um, in that game. So the depth still is not there. Um, and that really kind of got exposed down the stretch, which kind of makes you think, like, do we need to find a different strategy if we know we're going to be playing shorthanded? And it's tough to balance all these different variables. Sometimes you just kind of need to go up with, like, a, a YOLO strategy where it's like, well, this is the best plan. We just got to hope for health. Like, that might be how Shiano was playing it this year. But I think moving forward, I agree that it's not sustainable with the level of depth Rutgers currently has to play like we do consistently. Um, what else? Is, is there any other negatives you guys really wanted to highlight? Wide receiver, of course, stinks. But that's skill position. Yeah, skill position outside of Kyle guy was really kind of lackluster this year. Sorry. Stinks um, that Brantley never got the blood. <laughs> the NCAA <laughs> fucked them on two people. <laughs> so, yeah. that. I mean, in fairness, we've talked about this. If you look at Brantley's participation through his however many years he's played in college football, mm-hmm. it did not look like he had a year of eligibility <laughs> available to him. Now, I know that there was a talk that there was a holdup with his old school. I don't know what it was. I, we were talking about this beforehand. My speculation, yeah. and again, speculation, was that he was improperly marked as a participant for a game either in 2018 when he was a freshman because he played two seasons where he played five games and the cutoffs yeah. four. My theory was that somebody at Rutgers watched every single game those two years and found a game where he didn't play at all. And they were petitioning mm-hmm. the NCAA to say, watch this game. You need to like check it out because he didn't enter the field. He never actually played. And the NCAA said, well, that's an issue with that school, they, you got to go through them. And that school was not really willing to play ball or didn't really care enough to go through and watch and submit some kind of petition. Again, <laughs> speculation on my part. But they keep talking about an issue at his old school, and it's showing that he played five games in both those seasons, which would count as a year of used eligibility. And then he has three other years, including the COVID year. So didn't look like he had any eligibility left. So shouldn't have been a shocker that he wasn't given a waiver because he didn't have eligibility. Yeah. And you really think that CLA is going to go all the way back and do that? They're probably just like, they said five games back in 2018, and you just found out now? Like, next. Again, speculation on my part. I don't know if that's the case or not, but if you just look at the participation chart, he has no yeah. eligibility. So I don't know what was even the reason to bring a kid like that on. The Bo Mascow thing's just very weird, too. I mean, it has yeah. to be academics, if I had to guess. That's a pure guess, again, but it makes sense why a lot of schools backed off on him late. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about some predictions on who we think stays and who we think goes from this class or from this team moving into next year. Going to name them off, and you guys just offer your opinions. Yeah, yeah. go for it. All right, let's start with a superstar, Evan Simon. Ah <laughs> uh, man, yeah, he's probably going. I think he's gone. Yeah, I think it's all in agreement. He's going to go somewhere, play well, and then everybody's going to go, See? See? Why couldn't he play? Why couldn't he play? It's like Cole Schneider 2.0. Yep. Um, <laughs> they're just going to move on from that one. Kyle Manongai. Yeah, uh, he's gone. 
Yeah, I think he's gone. And I was thinking about this. Even if he doesn't go to the NFL, like, you know somebody would give him the bag. Like, Rutgers, yeah. if, he, if, he, if he hit the portal, like, Rutgers wouldn't be able to. I don't think Rutgers would be able to even, like, afford him. So, yeah, I think he's, he's getting the bag one way or the other. He's loyal, though. I yeah, like I know. He... But I'm just, I think he gets such a bag that it, I think oh, he yeah. would. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's, right. he's very loyal. Yeah, it's not, it's not supposed to be, like, since I dig at him. It's just he would get such a bag that I think it would be almost impossible to ignore. True. Uh, tricky one here. Aaron Young. I think he stays. Yeah, I'm thinking he stays. I don't too. think he's really an NFL level player. I think he can get a little money in NIL. I think he stays in college. Let's say that much. But yeah, that's that was my more so my question. Does he stay at Rutgers or does he enter the portal? Because he does have one year left. He did prove a little worse this season at times as a pass catcher, especially. Probably, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking he probably hits the portal, honestly, because he basically became a third down, like, back. Like, I I think mm-hmm. he probably wants to go somewhere and be potentially a starter, to be honest. Sure. Um, Christian Dremel. I think he stays. I think he stays, yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, now, here's here's an interesting one. Uh, Chris Long. <clears throat> I mean, I think we had he heard rumblings of him not being happy before he got ruled out with an injury for the year. Yeah. So that would not surprise me at all if he ended up leaving. All right, that's, a, that's, a, that's an intriguing one. Um, no tight ends, really, because they're out of eligibility. The other two are sophomores, so it doesn't matter, I don't think. Uh, Mike Chifani, he already transferred once, twice. I have no read on that situation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, he already transferred twice. I just can't see him leaving a third time. Yeah, I'll say he stays. Um, Brian Felter played himself into a nice uh, little spot there. Well, is it enough to maybe say, "Hey, maybe I'll, I'll go somewhere else"? I mean, I, don't know. What... I think he could say because he could probably, like you said, he had a good year. He could he could compete for a starting job. I, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Given what offensive linemen fetch on the portal market, <clears throat> that true. I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to have a huge market, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I could see him testing the waters because like, he's probably going to yeah. be a grad transfer at this point. So. You would think probably, right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, probably. Um, Holland Pierce. Some options there. I think he should stay another year. Mm-hmm. Does he stay another year is a different question. I think he yeah. – I'm leaning yes, but that one's tough. Yeah, I kind of feel the way you feel about Giovanni. I could see him testing the waters and uh, seeing what he gets out there on the market. Former transfer, Aaron Lewis. Uh, hmm. I'm thinking he didn't have a great year, so I could see him honestly staying and trying to boost his uh his draft stock again. That's just who'd you say? Opinion. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Aaron Lewis. I think he it's stays. Scenario. But he he will be one of the more sought after <laughs> players in terms of the poaching market on the Rutgers roster. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if he would leave the portal again or go to the portal again. I think the other issue you have to weigh the risk reward. Like if you have another shitty season, you're you're completely out of draft uh, stock. If you have a good season, you're back in draft talk. If you leave now, you might get drafted based off potential alone. 
Well, if you think about it, like he's uh, he would probably be an undrafted free agent. You think, right? It kind of right now? It's like what is, right now. So seventh what, like, round picks are weird. That's they, what I'm they do it all on potential, and they might be like, "Hey, look at this kid; he's got potential." So, like, like what really? If he came back, what much does he really have to lose? I mean, like you say, yes, he could play <clears> his way out of it entirely. But again, it's Greg Schiano. He's he's got the connections that if he if he if he really you know want, if he has a so even if he has that kind of so so season, he could probably could probably swing. A, Swing a training camp deal somewhere, I think. Yeah, um, I, I just also think he's not like he's not a dynamic pass rusher, so I think he's probably playing a little bit out of position in college. I think he's probably more mm-hmm. well suited for an interior role or as like a a three four defensive end. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, but also, where's sense. the you think about it? Where's the money? Like defense, you want to be oh. defense defensive end. Yeah. Edge. Yeah. yeah. Um. This is kind of a weird one, and it's not NFL talk, and I just kind of ranted on him a bit. But uh, Keontae Hamilton. Hmm. Yeah. I think he stays. Yeah, I'm thinking. I kind of think he stays too, because he, yeah, again, one of those guys who is trying to get into that NFL, and like that's a that's a thing about again. I keep saying like Greg Shiano. He's got the connections that can get you those training camp, you know, invites. That I think Mm. that's why some some of these guys like. Like a like a Keontae Hamilton like stay, yeah. Um, other junior at defensive tackle Troy Rainey. He's been here three years now. I can see I him think- leaving. He hasn't really gotten a lot of playing time. Mm-hmm. He's gotten recruited over multiple times by transfer portal guys. That's true. Um, big name, big name, big decision. Tyreen Powell. I think he goes. <clears throat> I think it's um, this is tough. I think he comes back only because of the injury. If he would have finished out the season, he probably would have decided to leave. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong here, but if he's not going to be able to work out at all, given his his wrist injury or his hand injury, whatever they're calling it, and that extends into the the time where he's got to be training for the the NFL draft, um, I just don't see it. I think he's, True. in my opinion, probably best served coming back. Yeah, no, tend to agree on that one. Uh, Mohamed Toure. I think he's I think gone. He I think he's yeah. Uh, he's already kind of been saying things on uh, social media that kind of lean you to think he's probably leaving. Um, but yeah, I think he's been in college now for five years, like that. Um, mm-hmm. He's already dealt with an injury. Came back this year and looked like he hadn't lost any of his burst. I don't think you want to risk getting injured again at his age. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. I think he also showed some real position versatility this year. Absolutely. That's gonna, that's do you think he gets talk. drafted, or do you think just undrafted free agent? Probably undrafted. I think as long as his medicals come back clean, he'll get drafted. But it won't be you know a third round pick. It'll probably be like a sixth or seventh round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if if they look at his medicals and go, oh, "Holy crap!" Then probably won't be drafted. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robert Longerbeam technically finished his junior year, so he is draft eligible. Could be portal eligible. I think he stays. I'm kind of leaning towards he goes, to be honest. He, I just feel like he's, I don't know how much, do you think he can really raise his stock that much more on? He had a good, I thought he had a really good year. I mean, until he actually, I thought, I mentioned it during the Ohio State game. I thought he did a real good job covering Marvin Harrison Jr. until really the, until, until it was, I guess, I guess you could say winning time. But up to, up to, like, a certain point, Marvin Harrison only had, like, two catches. Like, 
I thought he did a I thought he did a real good job. So I think and I think he has I think he has skills that will translate to the next level. So I kind of think I'm kind of thinking he goes. It's a tough one because he his height probably plays a factor in his draft stock. But you, like you said, he had a really good year. Um, if he comes back, plays CB one, could have a really really good year and improve his draft stock a little more. But yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, Max Melton. I th- yeah, I think he's gone. See, yeah, <laughs> yeah this is, like at this point, if he stays, like then it's just like, yeah. like what are you doing? <laughs> I think we're all in agreement on that one, especially because <laughs> he kind of improves his draft stock later in the season after some some nice balls, uh, nice interceptions, I guess. Um, especially yesterday. Yesterday was a beautiful pick. Um, Eric Rogers. I think he stays. Good. Yeah, another year makes sense, especially as a DB under Shiano. There's really. No reason to leave, and he would be CB1 if both of those guys left, which is a little concerning, but um, <laughs> that's why I think they'll, they'll probably hit the portal for that. But uh, yeah. Flip Dixon, weird scenario. This is I probably the toughest one to on the whole team. Yeah. I think, I think if he tough. did leave, he would be a draftable player. Now I could see him as an undrafted free agent. I, I think at points he was the best player on the team. On defense, mm-hmm. I think it kind of oscillated between him and Tyreen Powell throughout the year. Um, yeah. So one A, one B, kind of choose who you think's better. Um, there were like games. Do you remember there were games where he would like take over a quarter? You know, he'd get mm-hmm. an interception, he would get a tackle for loss, he would force a fumble. Mm-hmm. This is all in like this really confined space. He can take over a, a game as a defender, which is not really yeah. something you can say about many safeties. Um, he did have some, you know, some bad moments too. Thinking specifically of that wide open touchdown in the Indiana game to uh, mm-hmm. to Cooper, um, but it was overwhelmingly more good than bad. So I don't know how much more he could raise his stock right now, especially given I think he's in his fifth year, if I had to guess. Or... Uh, that's a good question. He's been in college at least four years quick. at this point. I know that. Um, yeah. If I had to. Make a guess, I would say he goes to the NFL. Yeah, this is his fourth year of college. Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. He's he's had such a good year. I don't know how much more he can really improve his stock. Like that's maxed. The only out. thing is I could see the NFL kind of looking at him and seeing him as kind of that tweener safety where it's like you're <clears> kind of, like I think he's he actually did pretty good in coverage this year, but he's kind of like a bigger type of like safety type of guy. So they're going to say, are you like a Jamal Adams type? Are you a guy that's going to rush the passer? Or are you going to be actually like a cover safety where, which he can do. I think he can do a little bit of both, but that's also, that's also a little bit of the problem is that he's kind of hits that tweener mold. So Mm -hmm. that's, that, that's kind of how I see it. There's uh, two more DBs that are technically draft eligible. Uh, Shaquan Loyal. Start with that one. He's returning. I think. Yeah, I think he's good. He's, yeah, I think he's coming back. And then Desmond Igbenosin. I, uh, I think he comes back, yeah. All right, fair enough. And uh, that's it. That's all of them. That's all 18. Yeah, I mean, I think this 19, year will 17. be a much different script uh, portal-wise for Rutgers than last. I think last year, mm-hmm. Rutgers was very fortunate that they were able to keep all the guys that they wanted to keep uh, from leaving uh, the roster. Not mm-hmm. for lack of trying by other schools. There were several players who were tampered with last year. I could think two off the top of my head were Sam Brown and 
Aaron Lewis. Hampering. You're not allowed to do that. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that, but it happened. Um, and they weren't the only ones, but those are the two most prominent ones. And this is kind of one of the, the pitfalls of success is that when you're successful, people notice, and your success is because of standout players. And we have quite a few of those on defense, especially. So I think we will have to fight twice as hard on defense to keep our players this year than last. Um, but flip side of that coin <clears throat> is we'll be a more attractive landing spot for a lot of players as well. So I do think the Rutgers has a lot more to sell going into the portal this year than, than basically any time that portal has been in existence. So I do think we'll have mm-hmm. more high level players interested in Rutgers than we did in the past. Um, but it's a new set of challenges for sure for Rutgers this off season. Than the last. <clears throat> yeah. And also yeah. that's why Look at the go look at next season, and we say, you know, oh wow, this this season look that that schedule looks favorable. This could be a potentially eight win team, but I just think Rutgers can't look at like we talked about. I think there's going to be a lot of high end guys who are not going to return. I mean, Kyle Manungai just probably the biggest one of them all that they have to go. They have to. They can't. I just think they can't look at this be look at their roster and be like, yeah, we're good. No, you got to hit the transfer. I think they got to hit the transfer portal pretty damn hard and that's pro and in my opinion that's going to include finding the finding a quarterback because again it just all circles back to to the quarterback and gavin that if you if you roll into next year with gavin as a quarterback and he shows you this you're just really playing with fire and you could i'd hate to think that a, a, a schedule that looks really favorable for Rutgers ends up not being as favorable as we thought and we're sitting here next year talking about you know what could have been yeah, you, you need to hit the portal, and you need to hit the portal hard, and you need to also retain people. It's going to be interesting. And Mike, Mike uh, said at the beginning of the pod, I don't know how you do it when you have your, you're going to have to recruit while you're getting ready for a bowl game. It's going to be awkward because you're going to see some guys that are going to be like, hey, like, isn't that like the top corner in the portal? What the fuck? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought I was CB1 next year, and it's like, oh, you know, hear, hear me out. Uh, hear me out, Eric. And, <laughs> Gotta have a talk. <laughs> like, College football in twenty twenty three. Yeah, that's just, it's so awkward because the way the portal window is, like you kind of. I mean, I guess obviously you can record, rec- uh, recruit these guys post the portal window, but these guys are entering the portal almost ready to make a decision like now. So it's like, hey, you're gonna be CB two for the bowl game, but you're also gonna be CB three next year. Sorry, but like, and the quarterback scenario is the worst one because <laughs> how do you tell like, hey, Gavin, I know you're you're gonna start the bowl game, but this guy's your competition next year. He also just threw for like 3,000 yards FCS. So congrats. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird, but you have to do it. That's how it works. Yeah. No, it's it's not easy. But this is big time football. And this is the kind of problems you want to have because that means things are going right. You don't want to, True. you know, you don't want to have these problems where you're just trying to fill a roster. You want, you're We're trying to improve a roster now, which is... Uh, yeah, which is a good sign for sure. Um, in terms of football, that's all I got. I think we we spent close to an hour talking about that. Um, Rutgers does have a basketball game tonight against St. Peter's. St. Peter's is currently one in three on the season. Gosh. They're ranked in the two nineties on Bart Torvik, and that they're in the two sixties uh, in terms of Ken Palm. Um, they made the Elite Eight last year, by the way. That was not last year. Two years, uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Listen, um, time time makes no sense. Yeah, flat circle, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, everybody knows St. Peter's from that Elite Eight run, but that was two years yeah. ago. Um, 
They this is a game that Rutgers should dominate. Uh, they're fourteen or fifteen point favorites, depending on the book you're looking at. And there were some rumblings on Twitter from a lot of different people that we might see a long-awaited familiar face on the court tonight in Watt Mag. So stay tuned for that because I, you know, we could see the guy we've been waiting to come back for a while, and it would make sense to get him in a game against a an inferior opponent for a big time matchup against Illinois on December 2nd. Um, she, uh, geez, I was about to say Shiano, but Michael has said um, anytime he's been asked really about Mwat Mag, it was that it's all about his comfort level and nobody's going to rush him back onto the court. And it's just about when he is ready to come back to me, that signals he has been cleared by the medical staff and his, you know, he's talked about how his, his recovery has gone ahead of schedule all off season. And Richie, you could attest that uh, it's very anxiety inducing coming back and playing oh, a sport yeah. after you've Not injured your knee. Uh, you, did you tear your ACL playing basketball? I did both during yeah. basketball. So One you, and then I another. imagine <laughs> you, you talk about this better than most about how weird it must be, you know, doing those same movements that hurt your knee the first yeah. time. It, it's scary because like your first jump, you're like, oh my God, I landed perfectly. All right, I'm good. I think I'm okay. And then like the next one, you like, you like, might not even like do anything to it, but you just get like nervous again. And then like you might tweak something else like a little bit and be like, okay, wait a second. Is that okay? I don't know. Like, and you freak out. Like it's nervous. It's nerve wracking. So talk about what it so. feels like though. Just, I mean, we don't want to do a whole segment on this, but like, no, you do the recovery yeah. and obviously that's painful and it sucks mm-hmm. and whatever, but. What does your knee actually feel like? What is the difference in terms of just sensation when you're, you know, doing athletic things with a new ligament in your knee than when you previously had? Well, yeah, I don't have the same training staff that they have, sure. obviously. So it's 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 weird. Like it feels like there's a lot of tension on your knee, and it's just very tight muscles and stuff. Um, and like it's honestly just just when you first jump, like you're like, holy shit! I used to be able to like for me personally, I was in high school, so I had like the peak of my athleticism. <laughs> Um, I, I used to be would able have to, like, been, he, he would have played basketball. I would have been, if, I would have been yeah, D1. Yeah. yeah. First, yeah. first team all state. Rutgers, Newark, <laughs> maybe Rutgers, Camden, whatever <laughs> the D3 one is. Um, but yeah, no, like I used to be able to dunk a tennis ball and then I go to jump and I'm like, yo, I think I can touch net. Like, and it's, it's crazy. Now I can, I can almost touch rim again, but it's, it's hard. Like you have to build it back. And now I'm talking six years, seven years later. Actually, it might be longer than that. It's in like 10 years. Jesus. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's like a sketchy feeling because you don't know if your knee's going to hold up when you land. And personally, mine was landing on someone's foot and my entire knee popped out. And when my knee popped out, it drags the muscles with it and that's our ligaments with it. And that's kind of what happened. Um, and then the second one, I, I did the same thing, but I, it, I was an idiot and tried to pop my knee back in by myself and <laughs> my kneecap cracked in half so i have two screws in that one so that's pretty fun um <laughs> do I, and i still play basketball though so and i'm, I'm like i'm like any other hooper out there Love the game. it's just a flesh wound uh, no nah, dude I, I i go in home after that <laughs> some fucking lethal weapon shit from richie um yeah wild. it's uh sorry but yeah no it is a sketchy feeling it's everything's just tighter like it's just like a tight muscle around your knee and it's like almost like you have like a one of those restriction bands that like you ever see those like jumping uh techniques that they have like that waistband that's like on your ankle and on your waist yep it's like one of those is just like permanently on your leg and it's like whoa like i need to get like 
back into the movements and stuff. So if he does play, I don't expect him to go crazy, especially with the way he plays. He's super aggressive, super defensive. Um, I don't think he's going to be the same Watt Mag to start, but I do think he can get back to that by probably mid-season or around there. Yeah, it's just a, a lot of intensity he plays with. that. Uh... That's why it's a little tougher for him, I feel like. Yep. All right, guys. Yeah, well, we'll we really appreciate you joining us. We've gone through a lot today. Uh, we've made it through football season. It was a standout year for a lot of different reasons. Um, overall, good year. Some complaints, more more good things than bad. I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way, um, but we also have dealt with a, a month straight of losing, and so it's tough to stay positive in those moments. But uh, going back and kind of being retrospective about things uh, definitely mm-hmm. helps. And I want to thank everybody who's liked and subscribed and who's donated during our live shows. Uh, you guys are awesome. We really appreciate each and every one of you. We don't take any of you for granted. Uh, so for all of you who are listening, if this is your first time listening or if this is the 231st, for me and Richie and, the, and Craig, this has been another edition of the Net Report Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.